Welcome to the Fem Genius Podcast, where we unlock the secrets of intuition, self-discovery, and spiritual wisdom. I'm your host, Liz Zamorski, and I'm so excited for you to join me and my special guests as we delve into tarot readings, exploring our intuitive language, and sharing practical tips and tricks for connecting with your inner guidance. Tune in for an empowering journey into the world of intuition and self-awareness. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Fem Genius Podcast. My name is Liz. I am the Fem Genius, and I am, as always, so excited for today's bonus episode because I'm going to be sharing some of my personal ghost stories from recent history to go along with Halloween and Samhain, which are right around the corner. This is my favorite time of year, and Halloween has always admittedly been my favorite holiday. So I'm really psyched to have this outlet and this platform and you along for the ride this year because we're going to get into some spooky stuff. I wish I had a theremin that I could play in the background, but I'll just do the effect right now. Okay, doesn't it feel spooky already? So grab a cozy blanket, grab something warm to drink, unless you're driving, and in that case, put both hands on the wheel, sit back, relax, and enjoy Haunted Stories by Liz Zamorski. Dun-dun-dun! Today I'm going to be sharing some ghost stories about the house that I currently live in. And to give you some history about it, we moved here in August of 2016. Just to set the scene, we were a young family leaving the big city in Dubai for the quieter, more even-paced, peaceful life here on the west coast of Sweden. So my husband Henrik is from Sweden originally. He grew up in Gothenburg on the west coast. And in 2016, our daughter had just turned two. We were living in Dubai. I was running my own legal practice there at that time. Henrik was running his own business there. And we had just hit this pivot point as a family where we knew that we wanted to make a change. And after a lot of pros and cons lists, we landed on Sweden. We moved here in May of 2016 and we were living in my in-law's basement. Dun, dun, dun. Again, no, Um, we were living in my in-law's basement when we first moved here. And we had figured, you know, like we'll rent somewhere for the first little while so that way we can get our bearings and then maybe we'll buy a property. So at that time, we were looking for somewhere to live, somewhere to rent, and the housing market in Sweden, like everywhere else, is just really competitive. It's really tough to find a rental here. So we were looking high and low, and Henrik came home one day and he said, you know, I found this place. It's perfect. It's the perfect size for us. It's got three bedrooms, and, you know, he was going on all the features, and I was like, yeah, this sounds great. Let's do it. And he said, the one catch is that it's out on an island. And for me, I was like, what's the catch? Let's do it. We'll be islanders. And he was like, you know, it's just a different way of life out there, but let's go out and see it and we'll take a look. So we came out here the first time on a May afternoon in 2016. And I need to set the scene for you because summer in Sweden is like nothing I've ever experienced before. It is crisp it's cool there are some warm days but the sun just seems to shine brighter here and it it shines for 18 to 20 hours a day and the sky just seems bluer it's cloudless most days there's just this feeling in the air of freedom and enjoyment and barbecues and coming together 
the usual like very stoic closed up Swedes are out in droves. I mean, they love an outdoor party. They will absolutely sing and dance around the Maypole like you've never seen. And so on this May day, it just felt like that summer feeling was in the air. It was in the low 60s, but it was this bright, beautiful day. And we came out on the ferry. And from the mainland, from this place called Saltolmen, you take the ferries to the islands in the southern archipelago of Gothenburg. And the ferry that we take, it's a fast boat. And so it takes 13 minutes to get to our stop on the island. And the island that we came to, the island that we live on, is called Stisha, and it's the biggest island in the southern archipelago. Its neighbor island, Dunse, is connected to our island by a bridge. So when we were coming up to our island, you go under the bridge, and the next couple minutes you'll be at our boat stop. And as we came under that bridge, it was like God's rays were shining down, like, oh, over the island. And I was like, okay, let's just play it cool. Let me do the talking. I'm the lawyer. Let me be the one who negotiates. We're not going to jump on anything today. And then we looked up on the hill that was right there on the island. There was this beautiful white home. And it was just massive. It was gorgeous. Like the sun was shining on it. It was amazing. And so we met our now landlord getting off of the boat. And he took us up to that house. It was our house. And he took us up to the second floor and he opened the door. And when you walk in, there's a small hallway and then you enter this living room that just has wall to wall windows with 180 degree views of the eastward direction from this island, which looks out onto the next island, Dunse. And when you look over there, it is like a postcard from Swedish Wonderland. Like it's the red little houses. It's a harbor with, you know, yachts and small motorboats and like the masts of all of these sailboats. And then in the morning, obviously, because we're facing the east, you get that beautiful sunrise. So it was just amazing. (laughs) So I'm there like, when can we sign? Like Little Miss on the boat being like, let me play it cool. Let me be the one. And then I was like, we have to live here. Like all of us were just enthralled. And when I'm retelling this story, it is not lost on me that this is basically the beginning of like every Stephen King movie. You know, young family, things are going well, two-year-old running around. We're coming into this new place and we're just like, we'll take it. So we ended up moving here on August 1st. And when we moved in, almost immediately weird things started happening. Like you would walk in the front door and there are cabinets or like closets on either side of the front hall. And we would walk in and like all of the cabinet doors would be open. And we were like, ha ha, you know, it's an old house. Like it's settling. Like those doors just come open. It's not a big deal. But, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like, it feels a little poltergeisty. So I'm just going to be cool about it. But we would see, you know, all those cabinet doors open or sometimes it would just be like the cabinets at the top. There were some over cabinets and it just was a little bit unsettling. But we were like, oh, well, whatever. We're just going to logic it away. And we lived here for a little while. And then one day my husband had met the neighbors who used to live in our apartment. And the neighbor was like, oh, have you met the ghosts yet? And Henrik was like, ha ha, no, but don't tell my wife that. 
And she was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, like weird things would happen where if you're standing in the kitchen, you can see out of the corner of your eye into that hallway. And it was like you would swear you saw someone walking by. And sometimes it looked like to me, like an older man who was like pacing in the hallway, walking back and forth. At other times, it looked like around the size of like a seven-year-old child running by. And then other times it kind of looked like it was a cat, like something close to the ground. And both me and my husband noticed this at different times. And sometimes we'd be standing in the kitchen together and we would like both suddenly turn our heads because it looked like perhaps our daughter was going to walk into the room and like there would be nobody there. And so that was strange. There was also this thing happening. Our daughter lived in this one part of the house where there's an abnormally large room that almost feels like it's a hospital ward. And those doors in that room would constantly like come open by themselves. They would never slam shut, but they would suddenly just pop open. The door to our bathroom in the hallway also will just randomly start opening and closing throughout the day. And we started doing a little bit more digging into the history of the house. And we had been told that some of the floors were original and that's in the living room of our house where the floor is a bit more raised there but it's this old parquet floor and that one's original and then the doors in the house to our bedroom our daughter's bedroom what we now use as the office and then our bathroom all of the doors are original so you have all of that original wood some of the cabinets were put in in the 60s i guess um some of them may have been here before then but there's a lot of fixtures in the house that are original. Back in the mid 2000s, like so I guess around 2012 or 2014, um the current owners of the house bought the house and then they renovated a lot of it in order to split it up into flats and rent it out as long-term flats. Before that, it had been like summer flats that people could rent, and then before that, the house was used as the local doctor's office. I'm like trying to think of the English, the how you say doctor's office. But the house was originally built in 1909 and it was used as a residence for alcoholics and drug addicts at that time to come out to the island to sober up. And so it was owned originally by the city. And so they used this as basically a halfway house for addicts. And then there was a pediatrician, Petter Silverhold, who came out here because this island, Stisha, was really well known in the 1800s as this seaside resort. And at that time, it was considered like sea air was supposed to have a beneficial effect on the health. So on the north side of the island, you know, the elite of Gothenburg would come out and bathe in the hotels and the hot and cold bathhouses they had. And then in 1890, Petter Silverhold, the pediatrician, built this seaside sanatorium for children with tuberculosis. And so they would just come out here during the summer, and then the building was built on this side of the island for it to be a year-round hospital. So there was this four-story brick building on the east side of the island, about 150 meters north of where we live now. And they bought this house that we live in for the 
coastal hospital to use for like the doctors and the people who work there, as well as to put in like 33 permanent care places for kids who needed to come out here for tuberculosis recovery. So this building was built in 1909 and then it was converted in 1916 or bought by in 1916 by the Coastal Hospital. At that point, there was also an annex built onto the back. So there was a place for staff to live. There was a medical care facility back there. And then the front house where we live was housing for the doctors and the officials. It was also, like I said, the provincial doctor's office. Some municipal offices were sometimes in here. And so it was just changing hands a lot, but it was connected with this tuberculosis sanatorium. So I, I feel like that's an important detail because when you hear sanatorium or when you hear tuberculosis hospital, it just kind of gives you an essence, an energy of what this place is like, like what kind of energy is held potentially in the bones of this building, in the wood of this building, in the doors, in the floors, the whole nine yards. And then after it was used as that, like over the years, it passed hands. So like in the 30s, it then became um, more of a a place for the doctors to work. It became like that provincial hospital. And then when the TB hospital closed down, you know, it started becoming more of a doctor's residence for many years and the provincial doctor's office. So there have just been a lot of sick people coming in and out of this house or people who work with sickness. And so when we found this out, we were like, okay, that's interesting. Um, and I'm a big fan or we're big fans of these ghost shows, you know, where they go into different old hospitals and like do the ghost hunting and everything. So it was just interesting for us to find out that this is where we lived. Over time, you know, the activity just kept increasing and we would have a lot of noises in the house. You would hear footsteps. Sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night to someone yelling my name where it was just like a man's voice going, Liz. And I would jolt awake and then I would set boundaries and be like, do not wake me up with your creepy ass voice. Um, I also used the basement of this building for a while as my home gym and I called it the haunted home gym because when you go down there, the basement is all stone. It's like a root cellar type basement, but it's all stone and it's just very creepy. There are weird noises. There's weird energy down there. Um, the attic of this house used to be used by some of the nurses as a dormitory, and now it's been converted into also an apartment. And so you have this beautiful home with beautiful views, and it's got a creepy-ass history. So last year, I had met this woman who works as a medium, and she was offering house cleansings. And so I invited her to come over and I said, you know, we, we have some activity. And she was like, I don't want to know what activity you have, but just let me know when I can come over. So she came over to the house. I didn't give her any information. Um, I hadn't even given her my address. So it wasn't like she could pre look up things about the house, but she came over and she came into my house and I poured her a cup of tea and we sat at the kitchen table and she said, you know, let me just sink into the energy. Let's just chit chat a little bit. And then when I feel ready, we'll get up and we'll start walking around. 
And so we were sitting and talking and catching up. And suddenly she said, I'm getting really sick to my stomach. I'm not feeling well. My lungs are hurting. I feel like I need to start moving. And so the first place she went was to our kitchen sink, which has the view of the hallway. Like the kitchen sink is usually where I'll see something out of the corner of my eye out in that hallway. And she stood at the kitchen sink and she immediately pointed out to the hallway and she said, I feel like you stand here and you see things walking by. And I was like, yep, I do. And she said, you know, I feel like it's a lot of residual energy from the house, like things that are just echoes that are almost like recordings that just play out. They're not conscious and they don't know that they're there and they don't know that I'm here, but it's just almost like a recording in the house. And she identified the man and she said that there's a man who paces in this hallway who's looking for something. And so he's like in a hurry. He knows that things have to be done just right. And he's looking for something in these cabinets. And she said, does he ever open the cabinets? Do you ever come home to the cabinets all being open or some of them being open? Or do you ever walk in here and the doors are opening? And I was like, yep, that happens. And she said, yeah, I think it's this man who is looking for something. So we went out in the hallway and we cleansed his energy together. Like we basically created a circle of energy and she and I crossed that energy over so it could rest and not be stuck in this house. And then she said that there was a little boy that she could sense there around six or seven years old. And she put her hand at the height of the child. And I was like, yeah, we know that one too. And she said, I feel like this is just a child who was here as like a patient or a student or something. And then he's like running out this was just a place that he connected with feeling very free. So he likes to run through this hallway because it's like he's running outside. So we moved that energy. And then she didn't mention the thing that we see that's close to the ground. So for whatever reason, that energy was still here. She also mentioned that there was what felt like a cognizant energy in the hallway just outside of the kitchen that sometimes would like peek in to the kitchen and watch me. And when she was describing it, I knew immediately who it was. It's an energy of someone that I knew in law school who was very close to me. And when I was in a mediumship reading with someone a few years ago where I was being read, I thought that medium had been connecting with my brother's energy and I kept trying to make it fit. And then the name of this guy that I went to law school with popped out of the medium's mouth. He was like, who's so-and-so. And my whole body had gone cold because I hadn't even thought of that person. And he had passed a couple years ago. And when he said, like, who's so-and-so, I was just, like, chilled to the bone. I was like, oh, my gosh. Is he still is he still hanging around? Um, but so when this woman was describing this energy, I was like, can you get a name? And she started mentioning like certain letters. But the other thing is that this name would be pronounced differently in English than it would be in Swedish. And so I then asked her, like, could it be this name? And she was like, yeah, that's it. And I said, yeah, I know who that energy is. And she was like, I feel like this energy just kind of watches you. And she said, I don't feel like it's anything sinister, but I feel like it's unsettling because of the way he wants to hide. Um, so we went into the hallway where he was 
And it was so interesting because she said, I feel like there's some kind of energy vortex or something here. And that's how he enters. And it just feels like it's this open space. And where she was pointing to where this would have been, it's this very strange little like hallway within a hallway in the house is just the best way I can describe it. And it's where we've always wondered if there used to be a staircase because the stairwell in the back of the house that we all use now was built in, I think, the 50s or 30s. It was added onto the house. So it's always made sense to us with the shape of this little hallway within a hallway that it was probably a staircase at some point. And so when she was pointing to the floor there and saying, like, I feel like there's a vortex here, I said, you know, I always get the impression that there was a passageway here or there was a way to come up and down the stairs here. And so it makes sense that there's this feeling there of people coming in and out. But at the end of that hallway, we have this portrait hanging. And the portrait is of my husband when he was 19 years old. And there is compulsory military service in Sweden, but because Sweden hasn't been at war in a very, very long time, the military is you know split up into different more like municipal or clerical positions is how i'm going to describe it so don't come at me if you're swedish and you're like that's not true um but my husband when he was 19 he ended up becoming part of the military police that was the castle guard in stockholm for the king and the king's family and so he would be on this horseback he was like the mounted guard on horseback that would ride around the castle and they would also do the parades and everything. And so we have this amazing portrait of my husband in this uniform with a sword on horseback in Stockholm at the King's residence. And it hangs there. And on the other side of the hallway, cause it's like three walls on the other side, my daughter had drawn a picture of Spider-Man. So we put Spider-Man there and then she had also drawn this picture of this fortress. And so we'd put that there too. So on the three walls of the hallway is my husband with a sword, Spider-Man, and this fortress. And I said, isn't it so interesting that we instinctively put all of these almost defensive images here in this hallway where this weird vortex is? So we sent all the energy back through the vortex and we closed up the vortex then the lady took me to my daughter's room and she said, I feel like there's something with the doors here. And I said, yeah, these doors are constantly opening and closing. And if you had a reading with me, you know, probably from like 2021 to end of 2022, my office used to be in that room. We've played musical rooms many times in this house. And so I used to do readings. And in some of my readings, like in the middle of the reading, the doors would just open. And I'd be like, that's weird. <laughs> but so... She said, like, I feel like the doors want to open in here. And what popped in my head at that moment was like an older woman saying, the first rule of this room is that the doors shall never be closed. And like I said before, the way that the room is set up, it looks like it's the length and width of like a hospital ward. And so we felt like that room probably used to be part of a ward of some sort where they would keep the door open so that way the nurses or the doctor could come in and out. And so we told that woman that, you know, her time of watching the room was done. She didn't have to be there. We were allowed to close the doors. This is our house now. And we moved that energy. And then she came into 
what's now our office and what was at one point our daughter's room. (laughs) And she said, in this room, I feel like there's this man with this mustache and he's telling me like, this is not a place for children to play. This is a serious place. We need to keep the children out of here. And what was so interesting was that when we first moved here, this was our guest room because we didn't use it as an office then. And this was the room where I hung up my two diplomas that, you know, if you're American, you know what I'm talking about, where you like mount your diploma in these really nice, huge frames. And so I had hung my diplomas in here. It was so interesting that we chose this place to hang those diplomas and where it felt like it may have at one point been used as like a home office for one of the physicians or as a municipal office. And so she said like he was really upset that there had been children playing in here. And at that time, our daughter was so afraid of sleeping in her own room. And so we crossed that energy out of here saying, like, this is our house now. Children are allowed to play here. And what I came to find out later as part of the research that I did was that there had been a family that lived here in the 50s with a little girl. And she had been told that she couldn't run or play or be loud because of the head doctor, the head physician who lived downstairs. And she had to stay quiet because of him. And she had vowed that she would never live above a doctor again because of how strict it was. So I found that interesting too. When the woman went into our bedroom, she said, this place feels so welcoming. It's so bright. It's so light. And that has pretty much been our bedroom. We lived in the ward room for a little while, but that's been our master bedroom for pretty much the whole time we've lived here. And she said, this place, like you can really tell that you've done some work in here and that it's very protected and that you all feel very safe in here. So that felt good. And then she said that the doors opening and closing needed to stop as well. So she helped me cross over some of that energy. But so it's just so interesting having an experience where all of this energy that we had been sensing or energy that we had possibly been unknowingly responding to was being validated by somebody totally outside of the house. And so I want to say that if you have an active house, some things that you can do to bring the activity down is to, you know, put salt outside of your doorways. You can hang a horseshoe like prong side down over the top of your front doorway, which is just enclosing the energy of the house. Um, You can also set up, if you have like evil eyes or anything that you believe in that helps to ward off other energies, you can hang those around your front entryway. We use this thing that we found from uh, Mexico which is hanging a mirror across from the front door. So it's like the idea is if any negative energy enters the house, it sees itself in the mirror and then it's reflected back and it gets scared and it leaves. We also have a bunch of the Hamsa hands. You know, some of people or some people say that it's like the hand of Fatima or the hand of Mary, but it's those hands where it looks like the three fingers in the middle and then the curved thumb on one side and the curved finger on the other. And that is supposed to ward off bad energy. So when you walk in our house, there's a lot of talismans (laughs) hanging around. We also, for some reason, like we've never bought a dream catcher. And I know that it can be seen as appropriation. We've been gifted dream catchers a lot. 
many, many times. So we also have dream catchers around the house that feel like they can help protect some of the energy. They hold some of the energy. It feels very connected to the energy of the spider, which feels like a protector with that web energy. So we do that. Um, You can also use smoke clearing in your house. I know that you can burn cedar and incense and lavender. Some people use sage. I know that that is controversial because there are sustainability issues as well as just, again, cultural appropriative issues with white sage. So I'll just say, do your own research, use your discernment, but there are alternatives to sage. There are alternatives to Palo Santo. So that way these items are not overgathered or overharvested. And that way we don't create a shortage or create a situation where the native people who use these aren't able to access them. So I just say, like, if you're going to use something that you burn um, or if you're going to use a symbol, just look into how you can use it ethically. Always use your discernment. But ethics, honorable harvesting should, and I know should is not a word I should use, but I'll just encourage ethics and honorable harvesting. Also, just being able to, you know, put your hand on your heart and say, this is my place. This is where I live. I am here for a reason. This is mine. You are not welcome here. Your energy no longer belongs here. You are now banished. And then send that energy out to the light. Ask Mother Nature. Envision that there's a forest that this energy can go to. And it's almost like air that the trees can breathe in, transmute the energy, send it down to the roots, and then fertilize the soil with it for new growth. Ask Mother Nature to help you with transmuting the energy in whatever way it wants to be used. If the activity is frightening for you, I recommend checking with a medium who may specialize in house cleanings. Definitely don't provoke these spirits. Don't provoke the energy by, you know, saying like, show me yourself, show show yourself to me, because you don't always know what you're inviting in. I'm not saying that it's demonic, but I'm just saying that when it comes to energy, let's just be really extra careful about what we're challenging what we're inviting in. Declaring your space and setting your boundaries, like I said, are one thing. Saying like, this is my place. You are not welcome here. That's one thing. Taunting spirits or energies, being like, oh, you think you're a tough guy? Like, show show me how strong you can be. Oh my God, I don't even want to say these things in my house. I'm like, uh, not you guys. This is just in general. Um, you know, but th- those kind of things... Again, like you just don't know what you're up against. You don't know what that energy can do. And I always believe that, you know, those really um, powerful energies that we experience, like powerful anger, powerful joy, powerful transition, powerful grief, like these are the types of energies that are really strong. And so if we're feeding something with anger, or if we're feeding something with our grief, or if we're feeding something with any strong emotion, you just don't know how strong it can get. You don't know how it can amplify that energy. So it's just best not to do that. So anyway, these are just my most recent experiences with ghosts in this house and the ways that I've worked through them, the ways that I've invited in a medium to help me with them. And I'd love to hear your ghost stories too. I've got plenty more ghost stories in my cachet. So 
I'm sure I'll have another episode at some point about what I experienced as a kid, but it is so fascinating to me. I will also do an episode at some point about the land that we live on, which is just got so much history to it. But until then, stay grounded, stay magical, and happy Halloween. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to the Fem Genius Podcast, where intuition meets inspiration. If you enjoyed this episode and want more empowering insights, don't forget to subscribe and share your thoughts in the comments. Remember, your intuition is your superpower, and together we're unlocking its full potential. Stay curious, stay intuitive, and keep shining your unique light in the world. Until next time.